0: This morning, we find ourselves standing before the dramatic conclusion to the Gospel of Matthew. In this remarkable passage, we are confronted by Jesus on the mountain, the theologian of Christian witness, speaking of the end of the Church. Following the death of Jesus and Matthew, this resurrection account stands at the heart of the Gospel, allowing us to glimpse. Zion's final destiny. This passage has been described as the interpretive key to the Gospel of Matthew. As such, it should not surprise us to find that much of our work, as the staff, students, and faculty of Wycliffe College, is summed up in its verses. This passage was also a favorite of the Protestant reformers, who frequently employed it for polemical purposes in their ongoing struggle with the Church of Rome. For example, Luther offers the following comments on Jesus' command to teach the nations to observe everything he has commanded. See, here again, Jesus does not say, teach them to observe what you invent, but what I have commanded you. Therefore, it cannot be otherwise. The Pope and his bishops and teachers must be wolves and apostles of the devil, for they teach not the commands of Christ, but their own words. Ironically, the tendency for which Luther criticized the medieval church of his day has become the norm amongst all types of North American Christians in our day. According to the groundbreaking sociological work of Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton, the predominant operative theology in North American congregations today is a mutation of the Christian faith, which they call moralistic therapeutic deism or MTD for short. The term moralistic therapeutic deism reflects three of the main tenets of this theologically transmitted disease that has infected North American Christianity. It is moralistic because it believes that religion is about being good, nice, and fair to one another. It is therapeutic because it believes the primary goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Finally, it is deistic because it believes in a vague God who does not need to be particularly involved in one's life unless there is some sort of crisis to be resolved. In many ways, this is the perfect religion for a culture of consumers as it allows people to pick and choose from the buffet of religious options on offer and fashion their own -own choose-your-own-adventure form of spirituality. Whereas Luther, when summoned to appear before the imperial diet at Worms, boldly declared, My conscience is captive to the word of God. Today, many of his Protestant descendants... Seem to be saying, The Word of God is captive to my conscience. We've made ourselves the measure of all things. We modern people call this freedom. The Bible describes this condition as the slavery of sin. Martin Luther could speak of the human being under the power of sin as existing in a state of what he called cor curvum in se, the heart turned in upon itself. For Luther, the fallen human being suffers from a form of radical egocentricity. In which their heart is like a black hole which threatens to draw everything into its crushing gravitational field. The Scottish writer and pastor George MacDonald incisively cut to the heart of the matter, this matter of the heart, when he wrote, The one principle of hell is I am my own. I am my own king and my own subject. Luther knew that to be saved is to be liberated from the reign of our sovereign selves and set free, to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This freedom comes through the proclamation of the gospel received in faith. But the gospel for Luther is nothing other than the story of a king. The gospel, Luther writes, is a story about Christ, God's and David's son who died and was raised and is established as Lord. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ has redeemed us from the power of sin, death, and the devil, Luther elsewhere asserted, in order that we may be his, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. The good news of the gospel is the story of a king, the true king, and our passage from Matthew 28 depicts the enthronement of that king, On his holy mountain. Earlier, on another high mountain, the devil had offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. But on that occasion, Jesus sent Satan scurrying away, tail between his legs, by simply reciting God's word. Now, on this mountain, we see that authority is entrusted not to a man who attempted to seize it. Through doing things his own way, but rather it is bestowed upon the Son of Man, who freely submitted to the will of his Father, enduring the shame of the cross. Here on the mountain, the suffering servant is revealed to be the Messiah of Israel. In this way, our reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning turns out to be an excellent prescription for combating MTD. It simply needs to be topically applied. Here on the mountain, we see that the Christian faith is not about being nice or good. It's about becoming holy. We have been enlisted by the king in the royal company of the saints. A noted New Testament commentator, who is present this morning in our midst, puts it like this, in this command to make disciples who adhere to Jesus' teachings and who are visibly identified with him in baptism, we have the charter of the church, the constitution of the eschatological people of God. The peculiar politics of this Christian holy people is embodied in distinct practices, like the preaching of the word, the celebration of baptism and Eucharist, the exercise of the keys, appointing people to offices within the church, prayer, public praise and thanksgiving, and discipleship under the sign of the cross. Luther tells us these are the ordinary means through which the Holy Spirit not only sanctifies his people, but also blesses them. Here on the mountain, we see that the Christian faith is not about choosing our own adventure. It's about being caught up in an adventure we didn't even know we wanted to be on. We've been given a purpose beyond anything our fleeting and confused personal desires could ever provide. We've been made ambassadors of the King. Our royal commission is to go into all the world proclaiming the reign of the Lord of Life, and bearing witness to the presence of his peaceable kingdom as we enact our ministry of reconciliation. The long-awaited eschatological pilgrimage of the nations to Zion for instruction in the ways of the Lord has begun in the sending forth of the disciples from the mountain to gather the nations under Christ's royal rule. Here on the mountain we see that the Christian faith is not about the God who keeps his distance. It's about the Lord who draws near. When the disciples saw the risen Jesus, they worshipped him. A most peculiar thing for good Jews to do, for there's only one worthy of worship. Yet as the encounter unfolds, we are given an indication that the disciples' inkling was correct. Matthew ends with Jesus' promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which brings us back full circle to the beginning of Matthew, where the child in Mary's womb is described as Emmanuel, God with us. Our God does not remain safely shut up within a realm of celestial security, but comes to us in flesh and bone, and alights upon us in gentle breaths, and gusting wind. It is fitting that this passage would introduce the baptismal formula, for both our holy identity and divine vocation flow from our immersion in the love that has been shared from all eternity between the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. This morning we find ourselves not merely standing before the dramatic conclusion to Matthew's gospel, but standing within it. The pilgrimage of the nations to Zion has begun, and we Gentiles who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, made to be children and heirs of God's royal family. Sola gratia. We have been grafted into Messiah's people and given a new way of life in which we are learning to obey all that our Master has commanded us. Sola Scriptura. The Lord has promised to be with us always to the end of the age. By faith we cling to this unfailing word. Sola Fide. Christ the King has triumphed over sin, death, and the devil and has been entrusted with all authority in heaven and on earth. Solus Christus. We are God's people, immersed by the Holy Spirit in the depths of the Father's undying love for his Son, so that the Lord's reign of life may be made manifest to the nations as God's love overflows through us. Soli Deo Gloria. Amen.